0: Podcast. Richard West finding out about film and improvisation. Welcome to episode six of the Impro Film Club podcast. I've been talking to Lucy Cash, who is an artist and a filmmaker. If you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you'll know I'm interested in the different traditions of improvisation and The contribution they could make to this idea of film and improvisation being in tandem. Lucy is an excellent person to talk to about this because she has worked in film, performance, theatre. She references avant-garde film and conventional film. And she has an overall ethos of improvisation and has been thinking about uh, why improvisation can contribute in very small ways or in very big ways to the way you could make a film. I started by asking her, though, what what she meant by improvisation.
1: So one of the reasons I was really delighted that you got in touch, Richard, was that I had wanted a really good excuse to think through all the different ways that improvisation relates to my practice. I went back to Keith Johnson's texts about 18 months ago because I got asked to teach a course on improvisation and film.
0: Is it something that is that you use every day you're making something?
1: Yeah I would say it's a way of life actually. It's a sensibility and a way of thinking about things which actually turns out to be really useful if you've decided to be a creative person and work in a more experimental and less mainstream field because you need to actually have the ability to be very aware of the resources that you have and to use them in the best way possible which that sounds quite prosaic but I think that is a key fundamental element of improvisation and having the ability to acutely name for yourself exactly what all those resources might be and not to have blind spots to them and not miss possibilities this is all part of what I would say is let's call an improvising sensibility and I think it's incredibly creative because it's generative and I'm really interested in the idea of creativity being something which is not about self-expression but about generating ideas and emotion and ways of thinking about the world that... Engage the imagination
0: Tell me about this course you were teaching
1: I was teaching at Kent University So I was a film practice lecturer I Really wanted to Broaden and expand The students who I was lucky enough to teach And get them to start Breaking open this quite narrow Thinking that they had around Particular ways that films needed to be Developed and made So I would try and sneak in experimental practices that I was bringing from my own knowledge of choreography and performance. And at the same time, the nut I was really trying to crack was to get them to break open their sense of how you could develop a script because primarily they were interested in narrative filmmaking rather than in documentary practice. and. I would say pretty much exclusively up until the moment of this module they had thought about writing for film as a person who might be the writer slash director sits down, thinks about an idea that they want to express in isolation with some feedback from a tutor and then that script gets taken and worked on with actors so that's a pretty standard thing that happens a lot in the industry so no no bad that they were thinking that but one of the things that that encourages is and this is a big problem in conventional filmmaking is a kind of hierarchy and a particular way of thinking about where authorship is in filmmaking now anybody who's actually done any filmmaking knows that filmmaking requires a kind of shared authorship because of the different kind of inputs that people have and it's a very collaborative medium. Still we labour under the idea that there's one or two geniuses who are the writer or director and that's what really makes a film, speaking again about narrative filmmaking. I wanted to kind of break that down a bit and to get them to try and develop narrative ideas through other means that weren't about one person sitting by themselves in a room trying to express something that they felt. I would set them various tasks to do which might often be physically based but that would have some kind of cause and effect that that would then mean that they needed to work as a small group and to see what came out of that and to see whether that might throw up any ideas that they could then um, workshop further. There was an attempt to really sort of explore where are the edges of these different roles in filmmaking and Okay, if I'm a sound person, I'm recording the sound. But how also might I input to the creative ideas? How could we think about the film not, again, in that kind of linear mode of uh, sound is something that happens on a shoot and then maybe you'll have some sound designer compose music. But what if the sequence actually comes from a starting point? of thinking about trying to work with a particular idea that needs to be resolved and explored in the sound and then the visual comes afterwards so to sort of upend the normal linear kind of approach to filmmaking
0: and how did they get on with this
1: i think they hated me at points they really resisted some had some amazing breakthroughs in fact some students did actually find some quite extraordinary things which is always pleasing but it was really interesting to me the level of resistance but I, prior to that position, have always worked in art schools and with performers slash dancers and these were primarily film studies students so they've spent a lot of time absorbing film theory and so they're already, even at the tender age of 19, 20, quite set in how they imagine this whole process should go and, and the job that they might have when they leave university. So, in a way, it was very provoking to them because I think one of the things that really interests me about improvisation, that's why I say that it's a sort of sensibility and an approach to life, is it's a different way of thinking about your place in the world and how you interact with people.
0: One of the things that struck me in talking to different people is how many different spheres improvisation is involved with and how different they are.
1: Absolutely, and... Maybe this is because of who I am or maybe it's because I started out in collaborative performance making that I'm just interested in breaking down hierarchies and something I've struggled with when I have made brief forays into more commercial filmmaking is is precisely that hierarchy.
0: Let me just ask you, were there models that you could give them, you could give the students and say, well, of course... You, you may not believe me, but look at this film here.
1: Not exclusively, but a lot of artist filmmakers, partly through choice, but also th- because of resource, money, financial resources, tend to work on more than one role themselves. So sometimes you can have to be a, like a one-man band. There are. I did use examples, not th- because it's before my time, but what I know of Derek Jarman's work and of Sally Potter's work and those kind of filmmakers who before everything went into video were the experimental filmmakers that it kind of... I suppose I discovered their work as a child and not that I thought I ever would become a filmmaker but it's planted a seed in in my mind of this is different. Seeing the work I knew it was different and then later I found out okay so it's being made under different sets of conditions.
0: Well, just to take that, I mean, if to to play Devil's Africa here, the so if you're a student who wants to go into commercial film and television or something, then you say, well, you know, nobody watches nobody watches Derek Jarman films, everybody watches Sherlock, and I want yeah. to be a a cog in that machine.
1: Yeah, this is a really good question. We all know that Mike Lee works through improvisation in terms of how he works with actors and developing scripts. He's done a brilliant job of elbowing enough room and getting producers to agree to let him use that process so you're right there are very few models to point to which doesn't for me undermine any of the value of learning improvisational practices for instance because it's becoming aware of the matrix so once you can see what that is and what it's producing if you have an experience of something else even if you can't incorporate everything you want from that experience into your making you can at least draw on it or you might decide I don't want to actually I thought I wanted to go into commercial filmmaking and I don't want to
0: you were trying to convert them (laughs) you were trying to convert them into artist filmmakers
1: (laughs) well I guess for me ultimately what keeps me going as an artist is a love of exploration and I suppose it wasn't that I was trying to convert... I wouldn't try and convert anybody to anything. But I do think having a sense of exploration and a sense of curiosity is really important. And it is my observation after over a number of years that having the ability to question particular structures and to think in a more improvisational way, even to put it that way, really helps you do that
0: when you first decided that you want to be a filmmaker did you have an idea of the kind of things that you wanted to make
1: yeah so i was lucky enough to be a teenager when channel four was showing really quite experimental films and short films But yeah, I had the amazing experience of turning on the television and seeing work that might have been experimental animation, Yang Svankmeyer, for instance. It might have been a Derek Jarman. There were interesting series of short films that were collated that were really genuinely very different from one another in in nature and form and look in a way that I think it's harder to access those kind of films, even... The kind of work that you might come across on television if it's short film tends to look more similar to one another than I think it did when I was a kid growing up. And initially, because I don't come from a creative background or an artistic family at all, I suppose my first access was through performing, because everyone gets to do some performing at school and I was good at it. So I started out thinking that I was going to be some kind of performer. And when I got to university, as I mentioned, I was involved in collaborative performance making practice so you are become very involved in generating ideas and not just performing somebody else's text.
0: So what did you study?
1: I studied at Bristol and I studied drama film and television and when I went there it was quite a phenomenal course in that you did tremendous amount of everything and there was a lot of practice-based work and had this incredible thing that you had to it was compulsory summer schools so over the summer once you'd finished your exams you had an extra month where you stayed on in the first two years and I got to make a 16 millimeter film the first that first in my first year in that first summer school that was extraordinary because it exposed me to something that I never would have otherwise encountered
0: so I started by asking you what what it was you'd seen that had inspired you.
1: I remember seeing Sally Potter's Orlando. I suddenly began to feel I could understand possibly how it might have been arrived at. And so that began to break down something like filmmaking, which would have just otherwise seemed totally beyond anything I might do. I mean, broadly speaking, I'm really interested in, I guess it used to be called poetic cinema. Not always that a film has to be a slow film or taking an odd amount of time, but I think there is a sense that certain filmmakers really understand, and this I really relate to as a performer and performance as well, that you entering into a work, whether that's a performance work or a film, requires that you kind of bring your audience into a certain state in order to open up the ideas that they're going to encounter.
0: So I was asking you about the film bit of it, but obviously the performance bit of it is, yeah. is also informed a lot of how you're thinking about this. I mean, what does performance mean might be a bit better of better question. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was studying, I would be watching grainy VHS copies of, for instance, Pina Bausch's
0: work. She's a German choreographer. Yeah. So when you were watching these VHS cassettes of a performance somewhere in Europe, what 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 was its potential for you?
1: So what I saw were incredible performances that weren't that were kind of came out of dance but were gesturally based, that had huge emotional impact, that were sometimes funny, that were dark, that were long and granded scale. You know, she doesn't do anything by halves that might have a whole stage filled with carnations. And things would be done to, they would be taken to a point of exhaustion. And I think something about that fascinated me.
0: Was this something you were discovering when you were at Bristol?
1: Yeah, it's referred to now as the time of Eurocrash. You know, a lot of young performance companies were doing work which was physically, like I did one piece where I had to keep running into a wall. So you, it was very physically charged and engaged, and and also this is the time of forced forced entertainment. I don't know if you know the company Forced Entertainment, who so are another theatre collective who came out of Sheffield. There's a there's a kind of vehemence and there's a there's an extremity, maybe, using all of the materials at hand in a way that exhausts their possibilities. That I find really interesting.
0: So performance for you was uh, a theatrical or a stroke dance, stroke art thing that was could could happen anywhere
1: yeah and I shared a flat with somebody in my third year who had gone to train with a Polish director called Grotowski and so there was when I was studying theatre there was a whole there was also this connection to an earlier form of like poor theatre where you it wasn't middle class at all you didn't have resources but again you made extraordinary work out of very limited means and I think that's that has always stayed with me and again I think that comes that underpins the ability to improvise is to make something out of nothing
0: so okay you've unexpectedly you've taken me somewhere I've always been fascinated by which is the connection between sort of avant-garde theater Mm. so Grotowski meets forced entertainment and how that could feed into film the the film people that you mentioned are very much within a traditional filmmaking model of of <laughs> let me let me finish of something that needs a big industry to support it.
1: Well, both Derek German and Sally Potter did not come from a conventional filmmaking background at all. And Sally Potter in fact was a member of an experimental dance collective called X6. I'm not very good on the history, but I think it was established sort of in the late 70s, early 80s. Just to throw a lasso out, it connected to a lot of the improvisational practices within dance that were happening in New York. So people from the UK were going over to train and they would go and they would encounter Merce Cunningham, John Cage, and Yvonne Rayner and Judson Church, and then coming back over to... I know more about the London scene but X6 kind of came out was a collection of some sound people but primarily dancers and choreographers who got came together in fact they had a warehouse opposite Derek Jarman's warehouse this is what's extraordinary about that time in terms of how the BFI worked and how Channel 4 worked and how money would be available for, I mean, it's, I know there are attempts again now to encourage artists, filmmakers into more conventional filmmaking, but that period, there was the sense that you could more readily write a one-page idea for something, and you might get seed funded to experiment and develop that and see where it would go. And Derek Jarman, of course, came out of, he went to art school He was in a milieu of people who were experimenting in different forms. You're going to hear music, you're going to see performance, and it's all those things kind of ferment into and feed and nourish.
0: So are there other places where those uh, inspirations all come together?
1: There was this shift from experimental filmmakers showing their work in cinemas to the hugely successful rise of showing video work and film works in, within the gallery space. I think that that radically changes the relationship that an audience has with that work, the way it's talked about, reviewed, distributed.
0: Do you think that all the experimental stuff has gone into art galleries and that filmmaking in cinemas has become a lot more conventional?
1: I think in a certain way it has. Isn't the role model to conceive of yourself as an experimental filmmaker because the natural way would be to think of yourself as an artist and making moving image works and that they would go into a gallery?
0: I suppose the other thing is that's big different that's very different is you've got YouTube and Vimeo and yeah. lots of people presumably get access to lots of previously obscure yeah. film traditions that way.
1: You only know to do that if you already know that such things might exist and my experience of teaching filmmaking within um, a film studies department is that there isn't even an awareness that that might be interesting or that those works exist. So much more accessing those kind of vlogs or very personality-driven websites or, yes, YouTube, but algorithms determine what you're going to turn up. You know, and you'll be suggested things which are like the thing that you've already seen.
0: Presumably, a lot, lot more people are watching obscure nineteen sixties, seventies structuralist film than ever did in the time they were being made.
1: I love that you say that. Can you do a survey? Do you think you could actually try and find out? Because I'm, I just think that it's what you're exposed to as a young child. So I have this sense of certain places in the world, definitely having these enclaves of really keen young people who are accessing stretcherless films and watching them with relish. But I don't think that's happening in the UK.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> okay, well then to take, an, to take an alternative point of view, what, what is the, what's the payoff? What would you, what would you get as an 18-year-old as an if you were going to study experimental film
1: we live in a highly accelerated culture in terms of speed and time and duration so one of the things that i have found to be really transformatory and when i am teaching i always try and make space for is how we can cultivate attention if you look at the root of lots of different people's practices and breakthroughs in science what do you see an ability to observe and attend over a a long span of time to a particular thing, rather than being constantly distracted.
0: Step one, pay attention. Yeah, (laughs) Okay. yeah. Step Um, two.
1: Why was I drawn towards experimental things? I do not know, it's something intrinsic in me, but because I got to see something that had experimentation in it and wasn't a conventional narrative and wasn't neatly sewn up at the end, something in that spoke to me and I recognized, oh, yeah, maybe that's what I'm interested in. If I'd only ever seen entirely mainstream conventional stuff, I never would have gone, I never would have even imagined for a moment to have been a filmmaker. So, step two is getting the ability to recognize something that interests you, which you might have ignored, and but suddenly you do see something and you think, Oh, yeah, I really get that.
0: But that's only going to be for the people whose interests are peaked.
1: Yeah, but I'm not trying to convert anybody, I'm just trying to make space for the people who might otherwise feel like. They have nothing to say or that, they're, they're cra- you know, that, that they might think that they have a kind of crazy imagination which doesn't have any place in the
0: culture that we live in. Let's go back to... I sort of feel like I've let us off on a digression here, but <laughs> let's go back to these things that had inspired you.
1: This has changed now, but certainly when I was studying in the 90s, theatre would tend to still be on that model of author-driven, script-based work, whereas performance was may have, yeah, usually had a script, but that was developed in an entirely different way and involved more movement. And one of the things I think is that video started to appear in performance work. And so, for instance, Forced Entertainment used video in their performance work and their vernacular related to TV culture. So I I wanted to say that because I think it's important that, for me, that video started to be present in performance
0: this is fascinating for me because it's like a version of improvisation which no one probably called improvisation.
1: No, no, probably not. No, that's a really interesting point, actually. You know, so it's been much clearer in music, hasn't it? There's always, if you say improvisation in jazz, even non musicians kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. Improvisation in dance certainly isn't transparent. Not many people have seen wholly improvised dance performances, it's not really in the mainstream. And similarly, in performance as well, you know. And the relationship between maybe developing a work through these practices of improvisation and then it still solidifying into a script, that, that's also not so known. As I say, I think the one example that we've got that having an idea that Mike Lee gets his actors to go into character and improvise something and then a script might be drawn from elements of that.
0: So the other strand is documentary tradition.
1: Yeah, so I was also reading
0: Reaches into Bag. Reaches into
1: Bag. <laughs> Russell. Oh yes. I was also reading this book, Composing While Dancing. So some of the things that are being described are about improvising being the ability to make instantaneous decisions based on particular conditions and an awareness of all the possibilities within that set of conditions. There is a choreographer called Joao Fidero who doesn't like the word improvising because some of its negative connotations so he calls it real-time composition which I really like and I'm going to weave back to documentary because I think that that's quite a good term for thinking about improvisation in relation to documentary because you are composing in the real time so if I'm out and even if I know that I've gone to film a very specific thing how I either remain static or move with my camera I'm composing in real time in relation to what I'm looking at and trying to also be in two places at once so be really present for whatever is occurring in front of the camera and also at the same time thinking about the audience who will eventually be watching this and so i'm composing it for my own eye but for an eye other than my own
0: a dance tradition a performance tradition and a documentary tradition all giving different versions of improvising that would have informed the way you think about filmmaking
1: I think that one of the key things... So Werner Herzog talks about embodiment as a filmmaker and how it's his ability to be physically present and active as a filmmaker that enables him to make the work that he does as as part of a thinking process. So that idea of embodiment for me is really important and I I identify that as coming from... Well, in my history it's come from a... Um, performance and movement background, but equally you could get there, and you see this in Van Herzog's film, you could get there if you were a sports person or if you had some kind of physical activity that you were skilled in, like a glass blower. You would have a sense of how materials work, how your body is in the world and how you're perceiving, how your sight and hearing might be perceiving the outside world and what that allows you to notice or not notice, that cuts across all of these disciplines. So that, if you like, is the base level.
0: So tell me a bit about the dance. What is is dance improvisation?
1: Yeah, so it's a really good question. So for instance, there are improvisers who do a lot of work with tuning into the interior of their body, so thinking about their spine, thinking about the weight of their sacrum or their head and using that to provoke movement. There are other improvisers who might set up constraints. So I'm only going to work with walking, running, standing, lying, jumping up and down. Might use that to to make scores out of that. And that's just, I've just described two really briefly, but you know, there are many different proliferations that come from observing either the body doing things, moving, and thinking about that in relation to scoring, which was where it connects to music as well, this idea of generating scores.
0: Could you have a, a troupe of dancers who are improvising, how are they doing it together?
1: Yeah, yeah, great. So you might do that, what I've described, just then as preparatory work. That's what like a, like what a musician might be doing, doing scales or whatever to kind of limber themselves up. That, this is, we're now we're touching on the amazing thing about this practice that we're calling improvisation. And I get excited about talking about it because it's the same for me if I'm a filmmaker with a camera outside in the field, being hyper alert to everything that might happen and my response to that. That is the same feeling as if I'm one performer in say five performers on a stage and we're all responding to each other and taking care of the experience that we're creating amongst ourselves and between us for an audience. Because again, we live in a culture which is all about control. And the reason that improvisation seems risky is because you don't exactly know how it's going to turn out, and that's you know the thing about it. That cuts across all different practices. But the more you highly skilled you are at being able to attend to, to respond, to be aware of what's needed and what isn't needed to make aesthetic choices, the more able you are to generate something interesting for an audience to watch.
0: You're saying uh, we're not gonna have control, but at the same time, people are still deciding what's good and what's not.
1: If you've got a limitless number of possibilities, it's very hard to make decisions. So to add a constraint in can be very, very helpful. Also, by the time you've arrived at showing something to an audience, there might be a body of material that's evolved out of these long improvisations that is known to that group of five dancers. So in a way, they already have this shared language, which for me is an equivalent to a jazz composition, for instance, or to developing a film through improvisation. In terms of the film, if it's narrative, you might think about that shared language is what's gonna ultimately become the narrative or story, right? In dance, it's more abstract, but the whatever that shared material is, it will have been honed and selected for its resonance or what it might produce emotionally or imaginatively in an audience. One of the key ideas, which again is important, is the ability of a good improviser to get themselves out of the way. Self-consciousness can block us seeing what is really happening or is occurring with another person because we are aware of self, literally. So these practices of improvisation in these different fields are a lot about taking the self out of the way so you can genuinely respond to a thing that's happening in front of you or around you in a way where you're not so concerned with yourself.
0: And so your own work to begin with, Would you categorise it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so confusingly, sometimes for other people, it makes total sense to me because of this, the breadth of my background. I've worked across genre, so I have made documentary-based projects. But because of my background, I also got funding to make several dance films. At the same time, I started to get work as an artist. So I'm sort of, I really do have a foot in both camps that's why I'm really interested in like the idea of an experimental filmmaker and the idea of a moving image artist
0: so tell me how your practice has developed so your more most recent films are more like a documentary
1: I think I I don't only have a singular interest I have interests in tandem and from you know one of an over, overriding concern for me is to be able to kind of respond to what's happening in the world around us now and that might not be directly that might be at a tangent
0: there's a film with mm-hmm. a group of mm-hmm. elderly people yeah. in a village I mean yeah. um, it has sort of like choreographed things going on in that they come into a hall and there are chairs and they're sort of walking around the chairs mm-hmm. And you're wondering what's the underlying mm-hmm. dynamic of what they're doing mm-hmm. and how did this come about
1: that project was a commission from an organisation called BAIT that were looking into post-industrial communities in so ex-mining communities in particular in Northumberland and that project took place over a year. The superficial commission was to make a dance film um, but I was working with a choreographer called Emily and Clade and we were both very interested to connect ideas of movement to landscape to personal history so you do see for instance at one point you see you just kind of get to observe or overhear this conversation where clearly this group of people are trying to figure out how to do something in the space and that's a a task that they'd been set and one of the things about the film was to try and include try and reveal that process of making
0: looking back over these the things we've talked about Mm. Could you give us some idea of what do you think improvisation would offer to a filmmaker?
1: I think, as we've talked about, it offers processes of observation, of recognising how to attend to things. It can also allow you to go on imaginative journeys that you wouldn't otherwise be able to foresee, because the thing about beginning with an idea and seeing where it goes through improvisation is that it can often arrive at a different place than you imagine. And that comes from relinquishing the sole control of a singular authorship to allowing other people into that. And I think it offers then the possibility that you can enlarge your own personal experience to that of whoever is in the room with you, which makes something more layered and complex and potentially more vibrant than otherwise it might be.
0: Does it require everyone to be on the same page in terms of what they're going to give to the improvisatory process.
1: Let's just think about it in terms of a development process as opposed to like a performance or the act of film filming. I think when you're in the act of filmmaking or if you're performing a dance piece at that point you have to be on the same page but in early stages of development actually it's really good when you're not on the same page and the, if, another thing that improvisation can teach you to do is to not make things personal and to be able to have, let's say, a conflict over an idea but to get really interested in not who's right and who's wrong and what's best or worse but actually what's this going to do and, and sort of almost like map out parallel possibilities. Conflict is really interesting, important great to be able to develop a robustness and a sense of humour around around that and as I say not to take it personally because it should be about the work, not about your own ego.
0: Does everybody involved have to be an uh, an accomplished improviser?
1: If everyone involved has an interest in, and in whatever that means for them, taken on an idea of an improvisational responsiveness, I think that's very helpful.
0: Film sets often have lots of people on them. <laughs> Could you imagine a version of a film set like that had a runner on it where the runner can contribute to the improvisatory process?
1: Gina, you know, maybe the lie of film sets is that they appear hugely controlled and hierarchical, but in another way, everyone is having to, in some sense, take on a facet of improvisation within their... The limits of their role or task because things are always intervening to make things go differently like weather I think it suits conventional filmmaking to, to present a highly controlled exterior although when you look at the DVD extras you kind of get to see all the things that go wrong yes, yes. and actually that's the more truth of
0: it what happens if the runner starts giving you lots of suggestions as to how to direct your film
1: Ah, well, you know, this is probably a truism, but one of the things about being a good director is knowing when to listen and not to listen to ideas that are suggested to you. Um, runner could come up with an amazing suggestion. In the hierarchical world of conventional filmmaking, it's rare that a, du- a runner would speak directly to a director to project the director's attention. So in big-budget world, that's not going to happen, actually, unlikely.
0: You would like to foster a situation in which they run I could do that
1: totally, if, if you're working with a group of people whatever role each individual is working on if they are 100% committed to whatever the thing is that you're making somebody could completely from left field have a brilliant ingenious thought about what might be a great shot to do or hey, did you realise that that thing is happening over there? And you know, why not? There isn't, you know, there's no, in my world, just because you're a runner doesn't mean that you're not an extraordinary human being with the possibility of suggesting great ideas, you know.
0: What about if a situation where everybody arrives on set and you've got a, a camera and you've got a microphone over here in the corner and you've got the actor's costume and each day everybody comes in and adopts a different role?
1: That's a good one. I'm going to say something quite conventional now. I probably wouldn't recommend that.
0: (laughs) I knew, I knew. (laughs) If I asked long enough, we would get to the point at which you were...
1: Listen, unless that were the agreement at the beginning. See, it's all about agreements. And this is why process is so important. Because if you set out for that to be the process that you were going to arrive at when you film, yeah, great. But I wouldn't recommend that on a very conventional shoot that's got a lot of pressure on its time and it's got three exec producers hanging in the doorway looking at the monitor just to suddenly do that because you know unless you've been very specifically highly trained in all those different areas to move between being a sound recordist and a DP is not going to be beneficial to achieving the most skilled work in a pressurized amount of time. But why not? If, that's, if you're not in that mainstream world, then that's something that you're really interested in as a group of people to see what effect that would have. Excellent, brilliant. But you would have to already know that that's what your aim was right at the beginning of the process and everything you do would lead up to that. I think it would be great.
0: Thanks very much to Lucy for that conversation. If you want to see some of Lucy's films, Uh, You can see some of them on her Vimeo page or on uh, her website. And thank you for listening.